Good afternoon and welcome to Franciscan Health's COVID-19 virtual care journey, a health system CIO Media Inc. production sponsored by NTT Data. Just a little housekeeping before we get started. My name is Anthony Guerra. I'm the editor-in-chief of Health System CIO, and I'll be your moderator today. We're looking forward to some audience participation. You can send in your questions and comments at any time in the Q&A box, and we're also going to do a little poll later and have our panelists guess at the results, which will be a lot of fun. Uh, nice way to view your screen today. First, click at the top center and get it in side-by-side -side mode. Then you can adjust the divider to get the slides and the video boxes the size you like them. And it should say speaker view in the top right-hand corner. Just so you see how we're going to spend our time today, first we're going to go about 40 minutes with our main panel discussion featuring Chuck Christian, VP of Technology and CTO at Franciscan Health, Sri Bharadwaj, VP of Digital Innovation with Franciscan Health, and Mary Edwards, President of Provider Healthcare with NTT Data. So we got a lot to talk about today, and we're going to jump right in. It's going to be a great conversation. Chuck, I want to start with you. Can you give us an overview of your organization and your role? Sure, absolutely. Thanks very much, Anthony, and I'm glad to be here with you today. I'm the Vice President of Technology and CTO for Franciscan Health. Uh, the organization is a 13-hospital system that uh, has hospitals in Indiana, Illinois, and uh, about 370-plus physician practices uh, in other locations, imaging centers, uh, lab draw stations, uh, urgent care centers, uh, uh, you know, we, we have healthcare covered from one end to the other. So uh, I've been with the organization about 18 months uh, and having a great time. Very good, Sri. Thank you, Anthony. This is Sri Bharadwaj, uh, Vice President Digital Innovation and Applications. Uh, my responsibility uh, is to manage our application portfolio uh, and uh, responsible for digital innovation, which includes uh, all aspects of uh, what we're going to be talking about today, which is exciting, is virtual care and how we be changing uh, the trajectory of healthcare going forward for the next 50 years, probably. Excellent. Mary? Hi, uh, Mary Edwards. I am president of NTT Data's provider business unit. And for those of you who don't uh, aren't as familiar with NTT Data Services, we're part of NTT. NTT is a $100 billion, uh, actually over $100 billion company. Uh, and we invest about $4 billion annually in innovation and invention. And the role of NTT Data Services is to bring that, uh, all that investment and capability uh, to our clients, uh, and to do that in driving the digital future of industry, in my case, healthcare. And uh, again, in my case, we've taken all of that investment in cloud, RPA, analytics, AI, um, IoT, right, uh, data and integration fabrics, and we've, we've brought that together in something we call Nucleus for Healthcare, which is essentially uh, helps our clients accelerate their digital front door, uh, accelerate the connection of the end-to-end -end patient and end-to-end -end caregiver journey, uh, create the data, you know, and analytics around, um, you know, care and uh, care provision, and then also um, support uh, patients and caregivers, as well as those who support them through dynamic workplace, which is a way that uh, we bring the infrastructure, technical, and clinical services desks to those who now have to work from anywhere and deliver care from anywhere. So uh, glad to be here and thank you so much for um, everyone for participation. We're delighted to sponsor. Excellent, thank you so much, Mary. All right, next question, Chuck, I'm gonna start with you. Describe the state of virtual care at Franciscan pre-pandemic. So we have, you know, we can measure sort of a before and after. Sure. Uh, what were the capabilities and adoption levels? Well, I mean, we had started on the the, the virtual journey uh, and with one uh, one platform, and we had just changed over to the platform that we're using today and starting to flesh that out. And you know, we had a roadmap. Uh, you know, it was basically an escalator for you know to have it uh, you know go up over time, working with our medical staffs uh, and uh, 
you know, to in order to incorporate the, you know, the virtual visits into our standard portfolio of visits, because, you know, I'm, you know, I'm of the age that, you know, I'm, I'm getting a lot of uh, well care visits and that kind of stuff. And so, you know, being, giving our patients the option of checking with their physician and not having to drive to the office and, you know, spend an entire day, uh, if you will, or, uh, actually uh, start looking at how do we provide urgent or emergent care, uh, you know, via a, a visit. I've got uh, granddaughters uh, that, uh, you know, their parents are, you know, they're working as well. And so giving everybody options of, of how they want to interact with their caregivers uh, and, uh, you know, provide different levels of services, you know, for either check-ins or well checks or, uh, just having a conversation very quickly uh, with the physician, uh, which could be a phone conversation, could be a text conversation, or it could be a full-blown virtual visit with video. So we were headed in that way, but uh, uh, and you know I think we were fortunate because we had chosen a, a pretty robust platform uh, to build upon uh, when uh, uh, COVID broke. Very good, Sri. So. I'll take a different approach. I think uh, if you if you look at where we are today, uh, decades ago, if somebody fell sick in the house, they would tell the the kid or a younger person to say, "Go fetch the doctor." Right? The doctor will come in through the buggy and will prescribe some medication, and you know, uh, and he will probably walk in the door after a few hours, days, depending on where they are, and then provide medication and get the patient well. Guess what? We do the same thing today. Go get the doctor. The doctor is on the phone in a video in five minutes, giving you understanding of what's going on with your, with your healthcare, helping you through that care you need through the process. Uh, now writing a prescription if required, or you know, sending you to your physiotherapist who, if you need it in a way, but if you look at the practice of medic medicine and where we are today, it's transcended so much using data that is provided to them in some way, shape or form. So virtual care is that next generation care being delivered to patients at home, from within their home, by the physician from their home, from within their home, making it seamless, right? Technology use is the best possible scenario you could get in a very, very, physical centric world is transitioning this. And Franciscan was no different, right? Franciscan did not have all of the physicians aligned to do this work because they, you know, this is not something that the, the sisters typically practiced years and years ago. So this is new for, not just for Franciscan, but for the industry. So we had some capabilities, we had a, we had a platform, we had some uh, plans, but what happened was this, this I would call it an event, kind of transformed the way the organization looked at medicine, not just care, but just medicine as a whole. That's mm -hmm. where the difference lies. Today in the lab draw places, you could do a virtual visit. Never has that happened in the past, right? So let's think about it from a different perspective. Excellent, all right, next question, Mary, I'm gonna start with you. Take me through the February, March, April timeframe as the pandemic set in. What were some of your thoughts? When did you realize this was going to be far different than anything you'd experienced before? Did you have a moment or was it, was it because it evolved slowly? Depending on your perspective, you could say it evolved quickly or slowly. But sure. um, do you, did it, did it, was it a slow thing or was there a moment that you had when you said to yourself, wow, this is big? Yeah, well, and, you know, not to be... Uh, trite, but uh, you know the the moment was probably when every uh, conference you know for healthcare canceled in February, <laughs> right? Uh, which was yep. going to be live, and then uh, you know that was quite uh, quite different to figure out what you know what we do next. But in in seriousness, um, you know we we serve thirty healthcare systems across the U.S. You know thirty of the largest, and you know over five hundred you know, hospitals, over 4,000, you know, other care sites and, um, you know, probably, you know, more than half a million uh, people, you know, rely on us for, you know, answering uh, questions that help them access life-saving 
you know, and care tracing, care tracking uh, kinds of technology. So, uh, you know, for us, it was uh, fast and slow. And by that, I mean, you know, we were prior to any uh, patient volume hitting emergency rooms, we were setting up temporary care sites and all the technology that had to be implemented in those care sites and tents outside of, uh, you know, hospitals on the West Coast. And, and then on the East Coast, you know, the fast was all of a sudden overnight. I mean, those hospital systems that we support were overwhelmed with, uh, you know, patients, um, you know, in the care setting. And our people work in those care settings as well. Uh, you know, we go into the ER uh, to uh, bring technology, we go into ICUs, you know, to bedsides and, you know, bring technology. And, and those hospital systems um, on the East Coast were overwhelmed in such a way that, you know, people from the radiology were now coming into the ER to help, mm-hmm. you know, triage, right? And so we yep. have folks who had to be on the phones helping um, x-ray, tech, x-ray, you know, uh, technicians or uh, doctors and nurses uh, operate in a in a different care venue. Uh, you know, when you talk about virtual care, uh, you know, in some of those settings, you know, there were uh, iPads uh, duct taped to IV poles, you know, being wheeled around rooms, right? So um, the explosion in virtual care was not just about the patient doctor visit in the, you know, in the uh, comfort of your own home, but for patient and uh, clinician safety, a lot of that technology was used in hospital settings as well. Um, so, I mean, yeah, there were crazy moments and uh, the world changed overnight. Um, and then we watched the world, you know, change as it moved east to west or east and west to middle, if you will, right, uh, mm-hmm. as the pandemic spread. Crazy times for sure. Sri? Uh, from our perspective, I think um, I don't know if it hit us or not. We, we were, I mm-hmm. think we just we just went with the flow. I mean, Chuck, wouldn't mm-hmm. you agree? I mean, when we when we looked at it, right, uh, we knew we had to get virtual visits. We were going down a path. Then we said, okay, we're going to go start doing this. And then we we really um, accelerated the process fairly quickly. So for me, uh, I don't know if it was something that. I would I would react to saying, oh my God, the world's falling apart. It was I think mm-hmm. it was for us a business as usual. Okay, we got to virtual visits. How are we going to help support the physicians doing this? How are we going to train them? What are we going to do? How do we mm-hmm. going to move this forward? Well, if I have got to focus on all this stuff and my employees are working from home, am I going to put some things that were more on the priority in the back burner? Obviously, right? So mm-hmm. you, 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 you turn focus. So. You know, this this is this is a a, a I wouldn't call it a, a moment where we were waiting for or we were kind of uh, trying to adjust towards. I think we just did it. Chuck. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I I'd agree. I think that this was, and it really wasn't a reaction. Is you know, I've been in healthcare for a long time. You know, worked in hospitals, uh, and you know, this is no different than you know, you're doing surge management. Uh, and trying to figure out what do you do next. I mean, one of the things that we we got lucky with is that we made a decision that we're going to move people into their homes to work. Well, in, in Shri and I's division, there's a little over 500 people. Some could, you know, readily move home. Some have to be there. You know, I've got teams, uh, you know, from networking and uh, side support that are in the hospitals. And so uh, some of those folks had never put on PPE before. Uh, yeah. And they were worried. And so we had to do reassurance and that kind of stuff. But I think that uh, it was really interesting is everybody, in, it wasn't that we collectively had this oh crap moment. It's mm-hmm. just that we looked at what the demands were going to be and we started doing the inventory of two things. One, what equipment, what technology does one thing. And then who's the people that I can get to do this. And then, uh, and, you know, Shri, you know, I'll have to give him, some kudos because Shri joined the organization at the beginning of March. Uh, and so he basically, you know, the, the treadmill was turned up to high when he stepped on it. But, you know, he and I have known each other for a long time. And so we didn't have to build a relationship. We had one. So we just attacked it 
uh, the way that we needed to do. And I've, I've talked to many other organizations and you know, friends of mine uh, at other health systems. They did the same thing. It wasn't, you know, they just instinctively knew what needed to be done in order to care for the patients. And, uh, and I know you're going to get to uh, this a little bit better is that, you know, we didn't worry about the technology. We were just looking at what do we, what do we bring to bear uh, wherever we need to bring the, to bear in the hospitals, in our ambulatory spaces. We were standing up uh, freestanding, uh, you know, tents uh, and structures uh, outside our hospitals to take care of these patients. Uh, we built respiratory care clinics outside of our emergency rooms and outside of some of our larger uh, physician practices to take care and isolate those those COVID-affected patients. And so we just figured out what we needed to do, what we had to do it with, and was it perfect? No. Uh, did it meet the demand and, and requirements? Absolutely. Uh, and uh, uh, and, uh, and we're gonna, we're, I'm sure we're gonna talk about some of the things that we've learned that we're carrying over in, in, in practice mm -hmm. when I, as I hope we get to the post-COVID area uh, mm -hmm. era soon, so. <coughs> Excellent, very good. Next question, Mary. Um, how did vendors such as NTT handle the rapid increase in demand from customers? Uh, and when did you first get the sense of what that increased demand might look like? Yeah, yeah, um, I touched on this uh, a little bit, you know, because um, everybody went to work from home overnight. Uh, it sounds like uh, Franciscan, you know, did as well, right? And so all of a sudden, uh, everybody who was used to coming in and you know using their tech at work had to figure out how to use that tech from home. And you know, um, having uh, uh, supporting that as we do with uh, both technical and clinical service desks, right? Supporting people through those new experiences of uh, not just you know how do I work from home, how do I care from a different uh, uh, situation, right? And um, so uh, it's not just about the increase in demand, uh, because there was a lot, there were a lot of calls coming in, uh, but it's also about, you know, the calls are different. Um, as I said, you know, the, the, the folks who worked in lab who are now kind of uh, over in the ER, you know, in, in, in the New York area hospitals, I know, you know, that um, of cases where that happened, you know, they're on the phone asking very different questions and needing very different uh, support. Um, so, um, again, you know, because we operate across the U.S. and, frankly, you know, the, the globe in healthcare, we were able to uh, experience that kind of in the nanosecond that, you know, you light the match and, uh, you know, there's that explosion in a certain part of the U.S., uh, you know, for that demand, but we were able to quickly industrialize and figure out like what those models needed to look like and how to make them, uh, you know, safe and secure and, and then roll that, you know, out as we saw the, de the demand, you know, roll across uh, the U.S. There are certain parts of the country that just didn't get hit with that demand in the same way, and they had a little more time to breathe and, and adapt and adopt, right? So, um, I would say we we got a sense of what the demand might look like in the in the wee hours of the first you know uh, weeks. Mary, what do you think you know from your point of view and your experience in your career? What do you think were some of the more important leadership traits that that you put into action and sort of activated that allowed you to be successful? Because this was for people in 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 uh, positions of authority. This was yeah. a time to leverage everything they had accumulated in their careers and put it into action? Yeah, I, you know, that's such a great question. Um, I, I would maybe say three things. One is, you know, the degree of collaboration across the seams of business, both within our clients and across our, my firm, you know, NTT Data, was extraordinary. It, it called for extraordinary and it was extraordinary in the way that uh, I watched our clients answer that call and certainly our leadership uh, answer that call, call. So collaboration as a leadership skill needed you know, more than ever, right, uh, in, that, in that instance. I, I think service-based leadership, the understanding that you know, you're there as a leader to support the teams who need to make 
life happen, work happen, care happen, uh, and, and support, you know, our, our client base. So, uh, you know, it's not about the hierarchy. It's about, you know, how do we, how do we understand what's happening in the, in the care arena, in the field, if you will, and, you know, get around our teams to support them. Uh, you know, I think Chuck, you mentioned about, you know, your team being in PPE. So, so were ours, right. And we went from, you know, overnight, you know, understanding how to support uh, teams in that situation and do everything from, you know, frankly, hazard pay, uh, you know, just to uh, support them and the changes that they had to make in their uh, situations to be in the care arena, sometimes, you know, sheltering away from their families because they had high risk, you know, family members at home. Um, to uh, crisis counseling, because some of those uh, care settings were really intense. And, you know, the, what everyone was going through in some of those moments, you know, required a different level of employee support. So uh, service leadership, uh, collaboration, and then, um, you know, cut through the, any kind of process or bureaucracy or decision, you know, making that isn't serving you well, right? Just figure out uh, how to get from you know A to Z with no steps in between uh, was something we had to implement quickly. Excellent points. Um, appreciate that, Mary. Thank you, um, Sri. Let's start with you on the next question. What were some of the steps that you took to empower the health system to deliver virtual care? Obviously, we'll go to Chuck next, but Sri, go ahead. So. For us, I think uh, getting together with leadership was the first thing we did. Uh, we identified several leaders in the organization who would be our physician champions, our operational champions, right? So once we, we understood who those champions were, we started figuring out how to help them understand how we can deliver this care. Uh, that kind of solved some of the uh, some of the operational questions that we were going to get because we allowed them to speak to the operational uh, impact as well as the ability for them to do the uh, scheduling, the actual visit, uh, the documentation of the visit, uh, billing for these visits, all of that stuff took a very, very operational role. Uh, from a technology perspective, we, of course, um, uh, mobilized our teams um, both uh, Chuck's team as well as my team pulled it together and we started working through uh, several scenarios that we would have to establish. And we also came up with several innovative ideas on how do we deploy a virtual care type environment in order to make it work for us. So, um, I mean, give you a simple example, uh, palliative care, right? Uh, patients who would like to talk to their, um, you know, their kith and kin during that time of uh, facing their lives, right? Uh, you know, patients who were in, in, in the hospital but unable to talk to anybody, uh, unable to be visited by other people, uh, giving them the ability to have that conversation together with the nurse in a, in a way to understand the care team process and response to that patient. Uh, you know, uh, hospital outpatient departments. How do you take uh, ED doc to do a ED visit um, without actually stepping out of his office inside the ED, right? Very, very unique. Something we would not have ever done before. But those, those were the things that we, we took to, um, to come up with options. And you know what? The best thing is we found is that the person closest to the problem delivers the best solutions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's unbelievable. So you allow your employees to identify options that they think will help them. They will identify opportunities that we need to be able to support them. That is what we do even today. We got physicians who said, look, this, this, thing, does, this thing doesn't work for me. We got to go do this. Fine. Let's figure this out. Mm -hmm. uh, in, in, in the olden days, I shouldn't say olden days, but in, <laughs> in, 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 um, uh, there are a lot of old people on this call, including myself. Thanks. Um, <laughs> so so, so in, in the previous days prior to COVID with Franciscan, uh, the, the process would have taken at least a few months. 
for them to find the leader, identify, make it a priority, help them understand it, and so on and so forth. Here, we did it in a day, in sometimes two days, without even blinking an eye. So when we got an idea, we empowered our people, got an idea, identified an opportunity, found out that there is a physician champion who's gonna go do this. From a nursing perspective, find out nurse who can do this as well. Got it, pulled it together, delivered it. That is how quickly we were doing this as we moved along. And beginning to think, uh, have the ability now to actually take a step back and think about it. It's, uh, it, I don't know how we did it, but we did it because that is how we operate. We operate extensively well with that kind of a mindset that at the end of the day, patient care is the primary reason why we exist. Yep. Chuck? Well, I mean, I, and I'll, you know, I agree with everything that Shree said because we kind of, you know, we, we did this together. Uh, and, with, you know, and it wasn't just me and him. It was, the, you know, the, the entire organization. But one of the things that I watched the organization do is that we listened very carefully. Uh, I remember one uh, Sunday evening uh, conversation that we were having with a group of physicians and other leaders in the organization about what they wanted to do, an approach they wanted to take. Uh, and, uh, and so what we, rather than us doing what we typically do of figuring out why we shouldn't do this, because we had security on the phone, we had our, we had our, uh, you know, our, our uh, firewall guys on the phone because we were wanting to do things that we typically don't do, but, you know, the physicians were saying, if we can do this, we can take care of our patients better. And so the, the, the mode changed to how do we make this happen uh, without worrying about all the, the red tape and the framework and all that stuff. And so the next day, just like Shree said, we had it up. Uh, the people worked in through the evening in order to uh, to get it done and to make it happen. We, the other thing we did is we partnered with uh, our physicians, and we're still doing that today, of coming up with very creative, innovative ways of using the technology that we had recently put in place, uh, so we could do virtual things, uh, and not just the virtual physician visit, but as Shri mentioned some of these, is we were doing virtual palliative care where we were letting the patients visit with their families who couldn't be there. We were doing virtual discharges where the patient's family or caregiver was at home, and we were, and they were participating in the discharge process while the patient was still in the hospital. The family member was at home, but it was full video. The other thing that I thought was was extremely creative, and I'm and I'm and I know this is carrying forward. Is what I call collaborative rounding. Is you had one physician or a, or a nurse uh, and a team going into the patient's rooms, whether you know they're COVID positive or not. They had an iPad, and then in another in a conference room somewhere else in the facility, you have all the rest of the care team. You had the other physicians, you have a pharmacist, you have somebody from PT, you have you know, from somebody from respiratory therapy, and they're reviewing that patient, and they're changing the patient's care plan in real time. And uh, it had a profound, a profound impact upon, you know, rather than people trying to chase folks down in order to do a quick consultation and that kind of stuff. And I actually watched the, the physician that says, I need to go talk to, I need to talk to this physician. Well, he just pulled out his phone dialed him up on a Teams chat, ask a couple of questions, and then they modified the care plan. And so this, to me, this is care in real time versus, uh, you know, trying to chase people down. Then we also did some uh, what I call communal discharge planning, where you had the same group of caregivers, because most of the people that had COVID that were sick enough to be in the hospital, they have a lot of comorbidities. And so you're going to have a lot of different specialties are taking care of them, a pulmonologist uh, and cardiologist and you know, just, you know, and typically a hospitalist. And so if you've ever been a nurse uh, or you know a nurse, and go ask them how difficult it is to discharge a patient like that because you have to get consensus about the patient can be discharged and what's the medications, what's the plans. And so this allowed them to do this stuff in real time. And so this is where I think that the technology can have a profound impact. Uh, and the fact is, it wasn't that we're leveraging the crisis, is the crisis changed our mindset 
So we think about these problems and these things differently and how to how can I engage uh, from a technology standpoint with the people that are providing care to let them know that I'm going to partner with you to make your life a little bit easier, but we're all focused on the patient. So I think that, as Shree said, at the end of the day, it wasn't about how cool the technology was, is how do we take care of those patients uh, that have entrusted their care to us uh, and the fact that you know, we, we work for the sisters. Uh, and so the sister's mission is to you know, provide excellent and outstanding patient care. So we get to help them do that every day. The one uh, point I'd like to add as well, Anthony, is that uh, even though we did these things rapidly, quickly, and uh, we always took, took care of security, just uh, mm -hmm. paramount, right? Yep. That, that needs to happen. I mean, you, you know my background with security, right? So... Mm -hmm. um, so anything we brought together, we had the uh, security folks aligned with, with what we needed to do. We made sure there were appropriate controls in place to make sure that that, that truly happened. And at the same time, when we, when we spoke to compliance legal, I remember this conversation at five o'clock in the evening, compliance legal, difficult to get them on the phone, yep. multiple attorneys. That when we did that, there was several sets of questions we went through, right? And very, I mean, we, we knew what we needed to do, but it was also in a way that we are protecting patient data, encrypting the right, with the right technologies, helping with the right controls, making sure the right consent was obtained from the patient. Like these are important things when it comes to delivering virtual care. So even though Chuck says, yeah, we went and did it in a day or two. Yes, we did it in a day or two, but we did not miss a beat in any of mm -hmm. those aspects as well, which is the toughest part in our lives when doing it otherwise, because to get all these approvals and everything else, it does take time in any organization. But if oh. you have the framework, we, yeah. had a, we have what we call a, a security compliance uh, privacy committee. So use that committee, use members of the committee to actually deliver that value to you. That is more important. Well, the other interesting thing, Anthony, is we no one had to ask anybody to, you know, let's extend our work day. Uh, let's extend our work week. And, you know, there was never a conversation about that, uh, which I, I found, you know, refreshing is just that everybody knew what needed to be done and it didn't really make any difference what the time frame was, you know, six o'clock on Sunday evening. If that's when we can get everybody together, that's when we did. Uh, and, you know, using the, you know, the collaboration platforms we did to pull these people together, uh, which was you know, really interesting. So I think that it was, you know, Mary, I think you mentioned a collaboration uh, and the willingness to partner in and uh, put teams together in different ways that we typically wouldn't have thought of uh, in, in making sure, you know, Shri and I have been doing this for a long time. And so we know what the moving parts need to be. Uh, we know where the approvals need to come from. And we know that, you know, we, we think we have an idea of who we need to engage uh, in order to get some of this stuff done. And uh, it's just a matter of execution uh, at the end of the day. <clears throat> Very good. What I what I want to touch on a little bit, you know, we had a lot of great stuff come up so far. Um, I want to talk about the aspect of leadership that I think, Chuck, you exemplify, and I, I want to hear from Mary and Shri as well, which is that, you know, Mary talked about uh, clearing obstacles, so to speak, right? When you, you decide what you want to do, and then it's a leader's job to clear obstacles and clear the way. Um, Chuck, I know that, you know, you, we've talked, you've made comments that I just love about an intolerance for status quo, an intolerance for pushback that you think is unwarranted, you know, an intolerance for not moving forward with, with what needs to be done. So I want to talk a little bit more about that. Mary, I want to I get your opinion and the way you approach that. Um, when you run across obstacles, either from people, partners, maybe even customers, uh, employees, you're running across pushback. I think great leaders handle that the right way. They don't let it stop them. They push through, but they also do it in the proper way. What are your thoughts? Yeah. Um, just thinking about the situation and how little, you know, pushback there was, I think Chuck and Shri, you know, talked about that as well, but, you know, 
just thinking about that in, in general, I mean, I, I, um, you know, I said uh, servant-based leadership and, you know, I kind of really mean that. Uh, I think of my job as enabling, you know, the teams and once in a while, you know, there is a team member who's not willing to do something and my approach is to say, fine, I'll do that, right? Mm. Lead by example and you usually don't get the person saying they won't do it again. If, if I'm willing to take my time to do it, then I guess, you know, uh, they can do it too. Once in a while you find leaders like that, you know, not, not just team members, but leaders, right? Who, who, um, who aren't as effective at, at collaborating and it's, you know, how do you use kind of a servant-based leadership mentality to deal, deal with that and, you know, lead by example, lead by doing. And, you know, the point is to get it done. And so to demonstrate that it doesn't matter who we are, where we are in the hierarchy, we're all here, um, you know, to serve. And um, some, sometimes someone legitimately doesn't know the way, can't do it. And so helping them get through that is, is important as well. That's probably my So we would hope, well, that's good. That's an interesting point. So we would hope that you were saying, well, fine, I'll just take care of it. We would hope that would get a message across. It usually does. It's <laughs> yeah, there's, a, there's an oh, <laughs> uh, oh moment that, it, that comes after that. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead, Chuck. Chuck, I want to hear from you. I, I, I love your approach for these things, just the Chuck look. If yeah. you were to, uh, got a response, if you got yeah. a response you didn't find was appropriate, I picture a two to three second stare before you did anything else. That yeah. would pretty much get all the whole message across. But tell tell me your thoughts there. Well, I mean, y'all know I was raised in the South, uh, and uh, you know, so my response is, "Well, bless your heart." Uh, and so that is Southern for you're dumb as a box of rocks, and do you really want to say that? Uh, and, you know, so the thing about it is that, you know, the thing is you kind of painted me as being intolerant. I'm really, I don't think I'm intolerant. I'm unacceptable of certain behaviors. Uh, and I think Shree's has seen this in me over the course of years is that, um, you know, I have a job to do. And my job is managing uh, individuals. That means getting work done through them, not me doing the work all the time. Uh, but I think that uh, we have to look for those teachable moments you know, because another part of my job is to, uh, to build the people that are, are below, not really below me, but that work with me in order to accomplish the things we need to do. Uh, and I, you know, I tell everybody, if I walk into a room and I'm the smartest guy in the room, I need to find another room. Uh, because I am not the smartest guy. Uh, I'm going to have a lot of questions because it's just built into uh, my personality index. Uh, and, uh, and, and I'm going to explore it a little bit. But, you know, I'd like to understand when they say things like that. Of, you know, I want to know the why behind uh, that is because they just don't think it's important or they think it's beneath them to do something like that. And, you know, I, I, my teams know that I'll never ask them to do anything that I won't or can't do myself. Uh, and I, you know, I'm, I'm not, uh, a perfectionist unless you ask my wife, she'll tell you that I'm pretty picky. Uh, but, uh, but the thing about it is, is that, you know, part of it is to engage our, our workforce, uh, and give them opportunities to grow. And if they choose not to, then, you know, I have to help them uh, be successful in other places, uh, not this organization. So tough thing to do, uh, but it's just reality. Sri, I'd uh, love to hear your take. I, I don't imagine, uh, you know, you're one that puts up with uh, obstacles when you don't think they're fair or appropriate. So how do you, uh, what's your approach to dealing with that type of thing? So first, you got to build uh, what I call a high-performing team, right? You have to surround yourself with people who you believe will perform when you need them to perform. Mm -hmm. That's an important factor. As a leader, that's your job, right? And in some respects, you know, um, I sincerely believe that every employee comes into work to do his best, not for that day, but for his career and for the organization he or she is working for, right? That is a sincere belief. Now, that is the same belief I have in myself. So I bring that to work every day. So when you are with that kind of a spirit going into work, making sure you have to deliver the best for the organization that day and for the future, 
you will surround yourself with that kind of people, number one. Number two, yes, there are people who will say, look, that's not my job or I can't do this or whatever. That's fine. And my point is, thank you. I really appreciate the fact that you can't do it. Let me find somebody who will do it for me, right? So that tells them that, that it's a choice that they made, right? It's a choice that they make. There are people who make choices to say, look, I, it's something that they cannot do. And that, that means they choose to self-select themselves out of the process, which is perfectly fine. Not everybody wants to do the same thing. We just have to find the people who will help us deliver. And as Chuck said, right, roll up your sleeves, get it done. If that's what we needed to do, and that's what we are here for, I'm not ashamed to say, look, I don't know, I'm willing to learn. But at the same time, I will say I'm willing to learn, but I'll put the effort to do it. I'd expect all of my employees also, staff also, to be looking at doing the same thing. So it's about collaboration, communication, the level of leadership you need to create and maintain a high-performing team. And you know, every member of my team should be able to say, okay, I know this needs to get done. And I can tell you, this is very, very telling. Many of us, many of us, do not even consider a nine to five, eight to five as a work situation anymore. Most of us, when we get up, we're on, we're on a system in some way, shape or form, you know, looking at things. Mm -hmm. when we, and the day doesn't end at five o'clock and we are driving, right? And, and right now, we're working from home, you're working long, long hours. Now, I mean, some, up day, some days I've not had lunch. I've worked through lunch many, many days, right? You don't have that, you know, moment to get up and go to the water cooler and have a conversation, right? You are, you are on, on the system all the time, almost, in a way. And it is important that we, you know, we, we accept that that's our life. But that also has to be in a level of caution, right? So we, I, I tell my staff, you know, guys, you might have to take some time off just to, you know, get your rhythm back because sometimes it just keep going, going, going. You just mm -hmm. never know. And I've had several directors who tell me, she have not stopped to have lunch. This is about three o'clock in the afternoon, right? And then I, I found out there are several employees who don't get up from their chair once they sit in, which is bad for their health, right? We are in health, yeah. right? So think about all of this stuff. These are the challenges that we deal with, not just the fact that somebody says, I can't do this or I don't want to do this. That's what I think we need to take a look at. Take a step back, look at the forest, understand what's happening in that environment. A lot of EQ is what is required to develop the skills in this marketplace with this kind of a scenario. Not everybody, not every leader is able to transform themselves to look at that from that perspective. Great points. Excellent points. All right, I'm going to throw out our audience poll, and I want everyone, including our panelists, to answer it. If not intentionally sustained and nurtured, innovations developed during the COVID-19 crisis will disappear as employees go back to old, familiar ways of doing things. Is that something that we have to be concerned about, that we have put very cool, done some very cool things, but Things are backsliding, and we see a little bit of it with um, with telehealth numbers going down. Um, so let me throw out an audience question that is really about that. Virtual health has been widely accepted by patients and physicians. However, future reimbursement by payers uh, for these services uh, is uncertain. How does this dynamic impact your plan to invest and deliver future telehealth needs? Uh, Chuck, let's start with you. Well, I mean, I think that, you know, there's already already signaling from D.C. that, you know, from a Medicare standpoint, Medicaid, that they're going to continue to reimburse virtual visits the same way they do uh, as in-person visits. However, I think that any sane person would understand that you know, there is an opportunity for uh, fraud and abuse. There is opportunity today for fraud and abuse. I, I can't tell you that, you know, it's almost every week I read about someone who's is being prosecuted because they fictitiously uh, – uh, sending claims uh, related to uh, uh, visits that they didn't uh, didn't actually complete, uh, and so we just need to have to watch it uh, and and do it. But I th I'm hoping that this is a service that's going to be continued to provide it. I'll, I'll give you an example. Dr. Randy Moore, who's one of our senior vice presidents, his father, uh, who is in his 90s, is a cardiac patient. 
uh, did virtual visits with his cardiologist. Now, in his, he said his 90-year-old father said, you know, I kind of like this. I don't have to leave the house. I'm just doing a check-in with my cardiologist. He wants to know if I'm okay, how's my weight, and uh, you know, am I retaining fluid and that kind of stuff. And I give him all the information. He says, save me a couple hours round trip going to the cardiology. He said, I kind of like this. And so uh, I think that you know, that's the other aspect of this. What's good for you know, the physicians and the medical staff, but what's also good for the patient? Um, you know, we're, you know, I think that, you know, some of the people said that people my age um, that uh, are, are not as accepting of the technologies and that kind of stuff. But I'm not sure that's actually true. Uh, and I know that the younger people, uh, you know, I know my kids who are in their late 30s now, they're doing virtual visits on their phones. Uh, wherever they are. And so it's a matter of, and I'm not talking about making medicine convenient, but I'm talking about engaging the caregiver uh, appropriately because my wife's a critical care nurse. I guarantee you uh, at least once a day, one of my children is engaging their mother uh, with a, I mean, I, I can't tell you how many times that one of my children has sent, sent her a picture and says, well, what do you think this is? You know, it, and she's saying, well, I don't know. And so we're looking it up, but it's a spider bite. So, uh, you know, engage your physician uh, rather than your mother. And so, but they can get to their mother on text faster than they can get to their physician. So it becomes a matter of convenience. All right. For the sake of time, I want, um, I want to get to the poll results and I want to have our panelists guess at the percentage agree. So what percentage agree with the statement that we will backslide on innovation? Mary, I'll put you on the spot first. 40%. 40%. Shri? I don't think we'll backslash a lot. So probably 20%, 30%. 20%. Chuck? I'm going to say about 50, 55%. Between 50 and, well, you, can you pick a number, please? Okay, 55 55. All yeah. right. If you, if you have, so I, I'll be intolerant. Hey, right. I'm the innovation guy in the room. I have to be the most optimistic, right? <laughs> this is true. The, actually, the winner, the winner is Chuck Christian. 52% oh, agree with the statement that it's really got to be sustained and nurtured, or you're going to backslide. So now I want to go to our Ask a Co-Panelist. Mary, I want to give you an opportunity to ask uh, Shri and or Chuck a question. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So I, I guess the uh, question I would have is um, in what way has what you've experienced shape, shaping your next steps uh, moving forward? You had a plan for virtual health, I'm sure, before any of this happened. And uh, as most systems did, and, you know, they were seeing low single digits adoption, right? Now this has happened, how has it shaped, changed the shape of what you do next? Uh, Shri, you want to jump in first? Sure, yeah. I will. Um, we, we actually have made uh, digital virtual health a primary strategic investment opportunity. Uh, this has been not just, you know, it's not just coming from IT, but it's, it's an organization-wide effort. Number one. Number two, we are looking at new ways to do this. What uh, Chuck talked about, you know, the, uh, the physicians in a conference room consulting with the patients, we actually saved, uh, you know, probably two to three days in length of stay uh, by bringing the care team together. And that is exactly where the healthcare industry should be looking for, right? Saving length of stay days and uh, avoiding readmittance. Is this nation's big saving grace that will come through this process if they all follow through, right? The, and we, we are looking at that option. The third option is, of course, we got, you know, uh, tele-nocturnist program, uh, tele-neuro program, uh, uh, you name it, we've got a tele in, in front of it, right? Uh, that has changed the way we think. Right? We are, when we've got vendors knocking at our doors, giving us solutions. That has accelerated them to do things differently, which did not, did not have happened before. And that is what I believe is uh, the future for healthcare. I agree. Well, I think, yeah, so and for me, I think that it, it's taught us that um, 
you know, none of the stuff that we've we did uh, has a technology lead on it. Uh, it has a purpose lead, uh, and how we partner with our physicians uh, and how we work with them to uh, innovate. Uh, and not only just the physicians, but we're you know we're doing. Uh, in our uh, ambulatory departments uh, with physical medicine, with uh, occupational therapies, with a whole bunch of different things of taking a different approach of how we engage digitally with our patient population. And, you know, some are not as comfortable as others, but I think that we have to at least engage that because over time, it'll become more comfortable. I mean, it's no different than like us. Uh, I really wasn't and I know my wife wasn't comfortable with me working at home every day, but now, uh, well, I'm not still not sure she's that comfortable, but uh, I'm, I'm more comfortable working at home. Uh, and, you know, Shree and I were in the office uh, on Tuesday this week, uh, and we're trying to get back in one or two days a week to get back in the room because, you know, we can see each other on the screen, but it's not the same of being in the same room. But we were appropriately socially distanced. We have a very large conference room. Uh, there were about 10 of us, and we were spread all over the place. Uh, and um, it, it, it was appropriate. And when we weren't, we had, you know, we, we were, you know, had our mask on as we were uh, ambulating around uh, the building. So I think it's how we work with uh, – um, the, our, our caregiver teams and our other departments that we typically don't uh, partner with. I mean, we talked about that at our leadership meeting this morning is how do we engage a little bit differently from an IT leadership with the other uh, business owners uh, and our business relationship managers? Because we, you know, we kind of have a, uh, we, a creed, if you will, it really is that we are operationally uh, led clinically focused and technology enabled. Uh, and uh, some of the stuff that we're doing really feels like we're, you know, technology led because you know, the technology is leading. We need to change that a little bit more uh, and you know, keep moving forward with that. Mary, I want to give you uh, a chance for a last thought, um, you know, with, with what we've been through in, in this, this year and it's not over yet. So who knows what else is coming, but it, it makes me think, and I've heard other CIOs, CTOs, and folks like that talk about the importance of being able to handle anything uh, from mm -hmm. a, you know, just uh, a technology point of view to have that foundational level in that you can handle whatever comes at the health system. So uh, if you want to address that or anything you want to address in some final thoughts. I think I'll, you know, pick up on what uh, Shri was saying about the many, the many vendors, right, with tell us something, you know, coming at you. And um, you know, how do you stitch all that together and how, how do you, which is where we've been focused, right, at NTT, is you're going to have all these enabling uh, technologies and then you've got to make sense of it for uh, the patient journey and make sense of it for the caregiver journey. So how do you create the integration fabric, uh, the analytics fabric, the things that that ride, you know, the, the cushion that that rides on, right, so that, and so many things will be popping in and out, right? New capabilities emerging now that we're, you know, kind of tipped uh, in this direction. And how do you create the ability to seamlessly bring those things in and out without disrupting the caregiver and patient experience? Um, those are the things we've been uh, thinking about. And I know CEOs, um, you know, across the healthcare system, even before the pandemic, were focused on digital front door. And I've just seen, as, as uh, Shri and Chuck were saying, a, an increased um, pressure and velocity and actually investment posture around that because the industry is restructuring, you know, a, around, uh, you know, the, the virtual state, not just virtual health, but the virtual state of operations and, um, you know, many different things that we have to execute as a, as a team. So uh, thanks for that. Thanks, Anthony. So, Anthony, there, there was one one question that got asked that I want to touch on just real quick uh, ahead, about about how do you address the you know the leadership stuff with your peers, which is the other the other leaders and uh, that that don't directly report to you. Uh, to me, that's you know it's you know I haven't experienced that at Franciscan. Uh, we just you know just you know, work together to get everything accomplished. But I know that there are situations where people are you know. 
other turf, you know, don't get in my space and that kind of stuff. Shree and I both have security backgrounds. Uh, we partner with our CISA. We don't get in his way, but, you know, if we see something, we say something. Uh, we offer uh, consultation when, when asked for it. Uh, and, you know, and you know me, I'm a shy guy. Uh, yeah. I'll, you know, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll have a tendency sometimes to speak up. Uh, but the thing about it is, I think that we have to do it in such a manner uh, that it is constructive. Uh, and we understand some of the motivations. I think, you know, we as a leadership team have just gone through a, uh, uh, a leadership institute that Charles uh, put us through, and he participated in as well, about looking at your personality index, which I mentioned earlier. Uh, and I think that it that has helped me understand a lot about how Charles manages, who's my boss. Uh, and Charles, I have to say that when Charles looked at my PI, and he's sitting across the table from me, and he says, now I know. Yeah. And I'm going, crap, what do you know? So I ask him, he says, uh -huh. no. He said, looking at your index, he said, I know why you're so good with people. And in his index, he's not that warm and fuzzy kind of guy. He's a very... He's way over to the right on the A, so he's basically tapping his foot saying, what's next? And I'm over here trying to figure out the relationships and, and that kind of stuff on the other side. So we, we are a, a good offset. Shri is a very high A as well, as you can tell. You know, he likes to get things done and move on to the next thing. And so I think, you know, how we learn from each other of how what drives us in certain behaviors is extremely important. And so I would suggest if folks on, who are listening are struggling with that, you know, work on, uh, you know, see if you can't put something like this together so you can understand how each other uh, are wired. Uh, and, and because when you get in crisis, that's what you're going to go to, what feels comfortable and what you know. And just like what we went through, uh, I, that's, you know, kind of my recommendation. So. I, I, I gotta give Shri. I gotta give Shri thirty seconds to defend himself. Uh, <laughs> uh, 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 you know, uh, from my perspective, I think uh, uh, you are here to get done. You are here to get done for our patients. Patients are primary. Patients are important, and that's the reason why we exist. Right? We are we are here to save lives. Uh, and we one of the key things that we did as part of our virtual analysis is that patient experience. What is is the patient actually accepting with what we are providing to him or her? It's a very important question that we ask every time. And uh, uh, we actually have a video that's posted on YouTube, I think now, uh, where a patient actually talks about virtual visits. Um, mm -hmm. The one that we talked about, it's, it's actually a nice video. Uh, it was a very, very old patient who really did not understand what virtual visit means, and he still talks about it. Um, it, is, it is good to see our patients also taking into consideration. And in some respects, some of our patients are pushing us down a path. I'll tell you another example. A patient drove over 60 miles from home because he didn't have internet, but didn't want to step into the clinic. He walked out, uh, he, sorry, he, he came to the car park, parked his car, got the iPad, had a virtual visit, went back home. Phenomenal story drive-in care, right? That's new. That's not something you would ever have done. I mean, our doc, cardiologist saw the patient. He saw the patient virtually outside his office in his clinic. But this is no, what I would call physical visit into the clinic, right? Because that really helps some patients. That is the kind of thing that we need to take a look at. That is the kind of thing that we want to do. And that's what I'm propelled to do. That's, that's the, I mean, I, I love the uh, talking to Chuck and give me and give me some feedback. Hey, Chuck, this is what I'm thinking. He goes, "Ah, eh, so you might want to." Think. <laughs> I, I go, "Yeah, I'm shy. Course. What can I say?" Of course, right. So and then and then he's like, "Street, uh, and you know, Street, this needs to happen." I'm like, "Okay, got it done." Right. That 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 is a there is that that uh, chemistry you need to have with people. But understand motivation, understand backgrounds understand their philosophy and their thinking. You get a better leadership out of that process. All right, well, I, I just wanna say that any organization that puts uh, Chuck and Tree together is uh, an organization that I wanna go to when I get sick. So <laughs> come on down. I will say that for sure. Oh, um, yeah. 
All right. Regarding continuing education, you could use the final slide in this deck. You'll get an email when the uh, on-demand recording of this fantastic event is up. If you want to sponsor an event with us, you can reach out to Nancy Wilcox from our team, and you can go to our website to register for our robust lineup of upcoming events. With that, I want to very much thank our panel, Chuck Christian, Shri Bharadwaj, and Mary Edwards. I want to thank NTT Data for making this event possible. And I want to thank you, our attendees. With that, everybody have a wonderful day. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.